One more item, our friend Chuck Harder, Mr. Entertainment, recently performed an hour of song at Sideshow Books in Los Angeles. A few weeks back, I was in the audience that night, and Chuck gave us a wonderful evening of stories and songs. Check it out on YouTube for free. Chuck Harder, in person, Sideshow Books on YouTube. Hi, this is Loretta Swit, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Figueroa and Donna Allen are with us as they bring us this week in TV History. Tony segment, as always, brought to us by our friends at Story Salon, Southern California's longest-running, regularly performing live storytelling ensemble, storysalon.com, facebook.com, forward slash storysalon. You can enjoy Tony's standalone podcast this week in TV history wherever you find all. Audio. This particular segment with Tony and Donna originally aired in September 2012. All right, September 17th, 1972. Suicide is painless. Yes, <laughs> that is it, yes. It brings on many changes. And I could take and your I leave, take it, leave it, if I please. Yes, uh, MASH, the television series, let me make that preface, uh, debuted on CBS which is based on you know, a movie and a book. A book by Richard Hooker. Richard Hooker. The full title was MASH, a novel about three army doctors by Richard Hooker. And the movie was based, uh, was done by Robert Altman, Altman. who yep. said yes. very famously, that movie wasn't released, it escaped. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Richard Hooker did write a, a sequel, and, act, and there were a couple other books that followed called, you know, the sequel was called MASH Goes to Maine, mm-hmm. and that never got developed into the big screen. Instead, they went for the TV version of MASH, you know, taking a few changes, and, and first season you even had some characters that existed in, in, in the feature that kind of faded away. You had one of the characters, Spear Chucker Jones, for example. Uh, Timothy Brown. Yeah. He was in the movie, right? He, uh, the character was in the movie, yeah, but then they realized there were no African-American. Certain, in uh, Korea? In Korea. And so they, Fred he, Williamson played him in the movie, right? I believe you're right, he, yeah. And Timothy Brown played him in the first 13. Yeah. And we also, yeah, the, the 4077 had a few more professional uh, medical people, dentists, and uh, right. you had, yeah, had Ugly John. There who was Ugly a, John, who was uh, a British guy. He's Australian. Austra- that's he was, right, Australian. He was Australian. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so they streamlined that cast a, a tad. Right. Uh, you had some reoccurring nurses, but Terry, uh, Gar- Terry Gar was a recurring nurse, I think. She early did on. She, early on. Early on, she did it. Uh, Marcia Strassman. Marcia Strassman before uh, Cotter. Before Cotter. Yeah. Uh, Shelley Long played a nurse at one time. I remember that. She played a nurse. Uh, so you had a you had a few. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's mom. Um, Blythe Danner. Blythe Danner. Blythe Danner played a nurse. She was a nurse who was a love interest of Hawkeye before the war. Right. And, you know, of all the gin joints, uh, that was the whole, she came out there. They were actually uh, together uh, early in Hawkeye's medical career. Very sweet episode. Uh, so you had, you had a, a lot of uh, nurses that uh, would reoccur, or, you know, that you, you, they might be in one shot. Uh, but you had this incredible ensemble when they started. You had Alan Alda and Wayne Rogers and McLean Stevenson, Gary Berghoff, Larry Linville, Loretta Swit, and then uh, William Christopher and Jamie Farr kind of came in. I mean, they they were not well, in the opening credits, but they became a very right. well-known well, presence. William early. Christopher was not in the pilot, no. although Mulcahy was. Mulcahy, yeah. He was and in the movie, his character was always referred to as Dago Red. 
Right. He was played by uh, Mulcahy. Was played by Rene Abergenois. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Star Trek fans, Odo. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And then Odo. Benson Odo. fans, uh, Clayton. That's right. And uh, he did wonderful characters, uh, you know, all throughout the seventies and, he, and still he was, today. He, he was a he was a Robert Altman favorite. He did uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, and I think he did a couple other Altman movies in, in the seventies. So very different from the character that William Christopher would. Very much so. Very, yeah. very much so. And uh, um, lest we forget, Klinger was uh, made for the series. Yeah, he did not exist prior, and he was greatly inspired by Lenny Bruce, or at least legend of Lenny Bruce saying that he got out of the army by wearing dresses. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was that. That was the inspiration for him. Gary Berghoff has the distinction of actually being playing the character of Radar in the movie. As and, well as the TV the series, show. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think G. Wood played one of the generals, and I think I, I, I know I believe G. Wood was in the movie, and, and I know and he played. He, yeah, he played a general in the first in the first season. I'm not sure whether he played the same character. I'm not sure either. Sorrel Brooks played a general, right? Uh, in fact, he played a general in the episode that introduced Klinger. Yeah. And Harry Morgan played a general. And the general flipped in... Uh, insane general. general. Yes. An insane general. General Steele. Yes. And uh, and uh, so you do have clips of Harry Morgan and McLean Stevenson together. Together, He's right. just not Colonel Potter. Certainly the first season, uh, to some extent, the first two seasons of MASH were very much, very close to the spirit of the movie. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it portrayed the anarchy of Hawkeye and Trapper. And you had a lot of overt references to Vietnam, as you did in the movie. Um, well, yeah, it really was a parable to what was happening currently in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. You have to think where we were in that particular point. So they were just using a different backdrop. It was so. They, but they it were. It could never be Vietnam, yeah. but it could be Korea. Yeah, it could be Korea, and that really continued into I would say like the seventy-five season. I would say it's an interesting coincidence because when um, McLean Stevenson's character was killed off right. uh, in an episode called Albicinia Henry, it was around that time, you know, it was over in Vietnam. And I think the show had made, and I've written one essay about this, I think the show had made, you know, a couple of transitions. First of all, something hit home. Mm-hmm. These characters would never be the same again. One of their own gets killed. Uh, and so... the their attitudes and their behaviors were going to always be slightly different than it was before. You know, you're going to look at it, what was it like when Henry was alive, and, you know, just like whenever they had any cast change. But I think there was something that, you know, there are certain things that uh, would shift, but also uh, the conflict was uh, in Vietnam was coming to an end. Right. And uh, when that changed, their focus shifted also. It wasn't so much about the Vietnam War as about war in general. And it became more... It was around that time that Alan Alda began to put more and more yeah. of his stamp on the show, which was for the good of the show, and it, 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 it helped the show, and in my opinion, it killed the show. It helped the show's longevity, let's put it that way, and, and there's going to be people debating, and, and we'll probably get a few comments sent to us, that some people think the show was great when it started, and it just... Well, our... Drove, and then our, other people will say that it's... It improved over time, so it depends on your take. Our friend uh, Walter Pedrazic, co-author of Watching TV and Harry and Wally's favorite TV shows, two of my favorite books on television, 
he breaks it down very simply. People have very uh, various ways in which they break down the history of MASH. Trapper versus BJ, Potter versus um, Blake, before Radar, after Radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wally Pedrazic breaks it down even simpler. When it was funny and when, and it, when it wasn't. Well, <laughs> and I think that's when you, when you really have to take a look at it because I think the changes in cast were very indicative of what would happen in yeah. that type of situation. Nobody was going to stick around forever. Right. You yeah, know? people got killed. People, people got transferred. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. And, and so uh, one of my friends actually had an interesting take. He said that you know the, the biggest shift was when Frank Burns left because you didn't have that real antagonist. Right. Charles Emerson Winchester was a brilliant surgeon as right. opposed to a lousy surgeon. And he was he was just as smart as BJ and Hawkeye in yeah, some cases even smarter, smarter and, yeah. and, and, and more skilled. And I think his there were jokes about his politics and you knew that he was a Republican and he didn't like Harry Truman, but you didn't that wasn't so much I think one time he mentioned something positive about MacArthur when right. uh, Hawkeye made a joke. He said, you know, he's one of the brilliant, you know, one of the most brilliant military minds of our time. But you never had the same type of patriotism mm-hmm. also that uh, Hawkeye and BJ and Trapper used to be at odds with, with Frank. Right. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't war anti-war, which was the dynamic. Yeah, which was, you know, you know it, was, Frank. it was just... Uh, Charles's motivation was to get out of there. Right. And he didn't want to be there like nobody else wanted to be there. He didn't agree. You know, he was more in line, I think, even though they might have had different party affiliations and they would probably never travel in the same social circles, they were, they all had the same motives. Let's get everybody repaired. Let's get the job done. Let's go home, you know, when this is over. So Frank also had motivations to, he was happy with the war. He had this wonderful mistress in Margaret right. Land. <laughs> You know, he was ha- he was enjoying himself. He didn't want to see this war come to an end. He would have to go home to his wife. He was wife. making the most of a really bad situation. Right. And uh, in some respects, he represented um, the hypocrisy of the army, the illogic of the army, the cold and callous nature of the army. We did a program a few weeks ago with Steve Weiss, who was one of the first psychologists who understood the need to uh, recognize to work with combat soldiers who suffer from post traumatic stress disorder not just in Vietnam but in Korea and in World War II and in talking to him I I I thought many times of several episodes of MASH where uh, Frank Burns would represent the army approach which is okay once you are stitched up soldier get back on the line because yeah. you got to keep the machine moving. And there's the classic episode with a very young John Ritter about yeah. a guy mm-hmm. who's, who's had enough. And Frank keeps trying to push him back into the line, and Ritter's character freaks out. Exactly. And that's one of the first times that we see Dr. Sidney Friedman. He had been, I think, in one episode right. prior, mm-hmm. played by Alan Arbus. Arbus. And, and, uh, and Frank would be also the type that would think that the need for a psychiatrist was not necessary. You know, I believe he had a line like, you know, anybody who needs a psychiatrist it's crazy. Is, is, you know, is sick in the head. <laughs> right. You know, and so the idea of that. And also uh, Frank was, let's say, uh, a religion, religious of convenience. Yes. Uh, you know, if one of his patients died, it was God's will. It right. wasn't his incompetence. And so he, he would, I think, uh, a lot of the characters found his... His uh, practical use of, of God 
and the Bible rather offensive. Larry Linville had a very difficult role in the sense that he he had to play a caricature every week. I mean, he was the uh, Frank Burns was the one character on that show who was never allowed to grow emotionally, was never allowed to have any sort of depth because if he did, there would be no foil for uh, for Hawkeye or Pierce and everybody else, uh, or, or for the show in general. I would say that he had a chance to have a little bit of growth when Margaret got engaged. And actually, there, there were a few, they had a, he had some moments. There, there were moments after but, a nervous breakdown. But they would but they would never let him go too far. No. Yeah, and um, because again. He, he wouldn't be Frank Burns. He would be no, there's else. nothing really likable about him. Was yeah. there anything really? It, did you have any sympathy for him? At well, you maybe a few times. You weren't supposed yeah, to. And no, I think, exactly. I think, I think it was that season because the season finale was Margaret's wedding, right? And the season premiere was Margaret getting engaged. And when he realized that this was over, possibly the greatest thing that ever happened to him, and it was over, and he goes a little nuts. And, uh, you know, and and finally, Radar had the idea of calling his mom, and he talks to his mom and kind of calms down yeah. and relaxes. And then the epilogue was uh, Frank going to Hawkeye and saying, Pierce, you know, there's a couple of young nurses. Maybe we should uh, paint the town red. And Margaret says, well, isn't she a little young for you? And he goes, well, maybe I should try young for a change. <laughs> and she gets offended, storms right. off, and Hawkeye and BJ pat him on the back. So you, you have that moment that – because – she was insensitive to him, right? And they were sympathetic. And at the in the wedding episode, even though she criticized Donald for not setting a date, and then he comes to the four hundred seven seven to say we're going to get married, and he says I want to talk to you, and he chases Frank, and then says I want you to be the best man. I mean, that's the ultimate point where you know he he is dignified, he accepts the role seriously. Although when he's drunk, he said, what makes you so special? And at the very end, the very last shot is Margaret going off in the helicopter with Donald in a, in a body cast. And the helicopter just flies off. Everybody walks away, and he's just staring at the helicopter as it disappears into the sunset. And he just says, goodbye, Margaret. And that was it. And then he wasn't, you know, that was a, a perfect that was, song. That was a very nice way for him to finish that character. Yeah, he did have, you know, some dignity. Though you did find out what happened to him. He was promoted and transferred back home. Right. So he did <laughs> get the last laugh. He was promoted to lieutenant colonel, and then he was assigned to a VA hospital in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Yeah, and, and as, as I recall, I mean, um, Linville, I, I think he had finished, I think he, did, he I think he had his five-year contract, and he filled out his contract, and he, he said, I, there's, there's I nothing more I can do I, with this. There's nothing more I can do with this, right. So he went on to do other things. and uh, He did a, a series right afterwards with Jack Albertson called uh, uh, Grandpa, Grandpa Goes, Goes to, to Washington. Washington. Yeah. Right. Where he basically played, played a very the, – the, the problem was he made such an indelible impression as Frank Burns. For, I mean, for a while, that, all, that was all the types of characters he He was give the, you know, the, the, the principal of the high school. Uh, he was. Uh, he did the short-lived Herbie the Love Bug TV series with Dean Jones. He also did a short-lived show with uh, Marla Gibbs called uh, Checking In. Checking In, a spinoff of the Jeffersons. Yeah, yeah. So he he always was, uh, you know, the military guy, the the Weasley middle management type, the person that you didn't like. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. You're listening to a segment of this week in TV history that originally aired in September 2012, in which Tony, Donna, and I take a look at the premiere of MASH in September 1972 and the impact that MASH went on to have on 
television. When I watch MASH, I tend to skip around once Frank Burns left the show. I like the first three seasons. I like the first few seasons with uh, Mike Farrell as... As BJ. BJ. And, and, and Harry Morgan as, as Potter. There are a few episodes with Charles I like. The one where, uh, I think this was a sixth, this was a sixth year episode. The one where, uh, Hake and BJ, uh, they start messing with his clothes. And, oh. uh, uh, at one point they got a, they got a, uh, his pants. I kept changing his, his pants. pants. <laughs> so I kept thinking that he was gaining or losing Wait. weight. And I think it was Larry Gelbart. They didn't have an ending. They didn't know how to end that, and they brought in Ronnie Shell, and he had the you know he walked in. He said, "Here's the scene. We don't have we don't know how to end it." And he just walked in with the line. He said, "Tomorrow we make him taller," <laughs> <laughs> and just you know, and that was it. It was you know because you would have these you know these pranks and these gags. I forgot Ronnie Ronnie Graham was a, I'm uh, sure Ronnie Graham, not Ronnie Shell. Ronnie yeah. Ronnie Graham was he he was a staff writer for that show. He like, was a staff the, writer, the season, uh, yeah. and he was. Very funny guy on camera. He he did play a, a part. He was uh, uh, an ordnance disposal guy. Yeah, and he was brought in to uh, take care of a bomb, but he was bombed himself. Right, and so he he plays most of the char- most of the time. He's drunk, and they have to wait for him to sober up before he could take care of the bomb problem. Uh, but a very you know in the tradition of Foster Brooks, basically very funny and and diffusing the episode. Uh, there there were I think one of the things as the show progressed. They got to experiment, and some of these experiments were great. Uh, having a show from the perspective of a patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, the interview show that uh, Cleet Roberts did, and then they did a, a, that, a clip that, show. Yeah, and the, the, they, they, mm-hmm. the interview with Cleet Roberts became a sort of staple. You did a, you did, vari- you did a few variations of that over the Yeah, they did a show. clip show later on where they you know, picked up, where they, he returns, right. and then they... Yeah, it was one of the... Um, I, for, I forgot if that was the 100th episode... Or if that was one where they just interviewed everybody and then you had flashbacks. Yeah. Um, TV flashbacks, not war flashbacks. They would do, the letter from home became a staple. It mm-hmm. began Dear Dad. Um, it, was written th- it was done through the perspective of, of Hawkeye writing his dad yeah. a letter. And then you would have... You would and then they did a Christmas episode that was another Dear Dad. Yeah. And, and then uh, after you do it a few do, Dear Dads, you had one Dear Mildred written by... Yeah, uh, Colonel Parton by Potter. You had a dear uh, Meg uh, and, by BJ. You and then uh, Charles like, did one, uh, right? And then you did. I think I think Klinger did. Yeah, you, yeah he oh, did one too. And Father Mulcahy did Bar- one. William Christopher. Right. That was a wonderful Christmas episode. Father Mulcahy had because he was writing to his sister, the sister, his, his right. sister, the sister, sister, and it was about him feeling that he wasn't being, he wasn't useful. Right. He wasn't important because everybody else had a purpose. Is that the one where he does a tracheotomy? No, that's a different one. This was the one. It was a Christmas episode, and he just wasn't feeling like he was needed because nobody shows up for sermons. Right. And then sometimes he felt like a, a vulture in the OR because he's waiting for somebody to die so he can give him last rites. Right. And then at the end, at the Christmas party, uh, what's the oh. Latin song? <laughs> uh, Dona nobis pacem. Give yeah, us they peace. Sing that, and it, they dedicate it to him because he said, you know, we, you know, we don't always appreciate you, and 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 we're not always there on Sunday because you know we're. We're we're uh, recovering from Saturday night, but it was very you know very important, and it ends with this beautiful snowfall, and uh, Colonel Potter says, you know what, this place looks pretty, and then an ambulance shows up, and they have more wounded. Yeah, and it's like you know sometimes when you don't think you can go, it's the the secret is just to keep going. And, that's, and Charles had one, but it was dictated in his recorder right. to his parents, and it has that 
funny, funny ending where he's being very dignified and very noble, and then he's trying to pour his tea, and then he opens up the teapot, and Hawkeye and BJ had stuffed a rubber chicken in right. there. So he said, you know, what was that? Mother and Dad, let me just say this as succinctly yeah, as possible. Like, get, get, get me the, the hell, hell out, out of, of here. here. That's right. I remember that one. Um, G.W. Bailey. Uh, Rizzo, yeah. Rizzo. Um, you, you, we think of him today as Provenza on The Closer. But uh, he, uh, th- that was, I think that was his first, I mean, he did he did guest shots prior to MASH, but it's like I think that was his first regular um, uh, appearances on television. And, uh, you know, somebody from uh, the uh, rural Louisiana, I think they wanted to make him Brooklyn. And right. Like, no, he's, he's got, but he has one of the, you know, he, he had some great moments in the episodes, but he's the one I think had a, a wonderful scene at the end of the run when Charles says goodbye because Charles leaves the 4077 in a garbage truck. <laughs> and he kept his dignity. Right. Because he and Margaret had too much stuff, and he said, I'm sure Sergeant Riddo can find another mode of transportation, and there he is with his cigar. Well, we don't got too many modes left. <laughs> you know, and then when they're saying goodbye, it's like, Major, I got the last vehicle. I hope you don't mind a garbage truck. You know? <laughs> and he said, not at all. I can't think of a better way to leave a garbage dump. And he you know, steps up on the vehicle, kind of takes a little bow, and just goes, gentlemen, and then sits down and then, I mean, it was a perfect exit for that character. And, I mean, it made more perfect just by having, you know, the complete polar opposite in the character of Sergeant Rizzo driving him off. This Week in TV History now has its own podcast you can enjoy. This Week in TV History with Tony Figueroa on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you find podcasts. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.